The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Brett King. Welcome everyone, this is episode 97 of the Boys of Tech for Monday 20 December 2010. Your hosts are Edwin Herman, that's me, and Brett King. Welcome along Brett. Howdy. Brett joins us over Skype. Brett, you were telling me just before the show that your phone only has a limited number of text messages it, it, it can handle before it overloads the memory and it just won't accept any more. Yes, yes it does. It's quite ridiculous. It's was only supposed to be a temporary phone, but ended up being a phone that I've had for quite some time now. <laughs> so I didn't put a lot of thought into the phone when I purchased it. And yeah, it's got all of these bizarre features. It has expandable memory, as any good phone these days should do. It has a decent amount of onboard memory. But for some reason, the makers of this phone decided that its text message capability should be limited to 200 texts. It can have 200 texts total in its storage. That means that is 200 texts split between the inbox, the drafts folder, and sent folder. Oh, really? Yep. And does it, what what about if they're really short? Does that mean you can have more? No, no. It it doesn't matter how big they are. I've got, I've had texts where it's reached its limit and I've got texts that are dozens of them with only a few characters in them and others where I've had several texts which contain Java applications and other things attached to them. Uh, it's completely, yeah, disregards the actual size of the text. It is purely limited by number of it's texts. really it's, annoying. It's incredibly so when annoying. It's full, what, what does it do? Does it just well, stop? When it, well, when it's full, if I receive any more text, it constantly alerts me saying the message capacity has been reached, delete messages. Do you want to delete messages to accept more? And yes or no. And if you say no, then it will ask you that again in the space of a minute. And it will keep doing that every minute, ringing and saying you've reached the capacity. And then if you say yes, this is is one of the other really stupid parts of it. If you say yes, and then you go and delete a whole heap of the messages, right? from the the phone itself. It will then ring you again saying the message limit is full. Do you want to delete messages or not? And it will keep doing that until you've checked the SIM card's message store as well. Even though it doesn't store anything in the SIM card's message store, it's got a separate notification for that attached to the first notification. So if you dismiss one of them, it'll keep asking the other one until you've checked the SIM card. Even if there's nothing on the SIM card, it wants you to check it before it will stop telling you to check it. Oh man, what a, what, a, what a hassle. It's a huge you know, hassle. My, my current phone is, is a bit like that, but I don't care because it was a $59 phone and I don't expect anything fancy from it. But I did also <laughs> have another cheapo phone before this one. And it was really cool because what it would do is it would basically do a, a round robin. It would cycle, it would overwrite the oldest message. Ah. So you'd always have, I think it was 150 in the inbox and it was also 200 so 150 in the inbox and it would just as I say overwrite the oldest one there so uh, it was kind of handy well that is kind of handy I much preferred the way that my old phone did it 
And that was you could specify whether or not you wanted the mailbox, the, the inbox to source text messages on the inbuilt phone memory or on the expandable memory. Or if you wanted it to fill the overflow onto the expandable memory, if it fills up the internal memory, and it would just keep taking messages and saving them until it had no memory for them. And only then would it alert you and saying, your memory is full, you need to delete some messages. Oh, that's, so yeah, that's far more sensible. With, with a, a multiple gig expandable memory card in it, you could receive text messages, you know, from now till the cows come home. And, and you don't have to worry about it. Oh, I so missed my old phone. It was such a beautiful Nokia. Now I've got this silly phone, which was only supposed to be temporary. Just <laughs> ended up lasting me ages. Well, you know what the solution to that is, is to go out and buy a new phone. Yeah, but all of the new phones are, you know, just kind of expensive. Yeah. Really, the, the, the plans and the, the phones and everything is really expensive here in New Zealand. I'm just, I've been tempted just to parallel import something so that I can get a phone that's decent without having to pay the huge exorbitant fees that you have to to get the phone here. Mm, yeah. Especially if you if you want a smartphone, a decently powered smartphone in New Zealand, your cheapest option, your absolute cheapest option is to go for an iPhone 4. What's up with that? This is the cheapest. Android, yes. Android phones were supposed to be like, you know, the, the brilliant thing, all these different No, that can't, that can't be right. To make a, no, that can't be right. right. That oh, can't be right. Once you, once you put into, once you put in, you know, a, a establish a plan for it, because anything you've got to get with a plan, once you go for one of the lowest plans, the discount you get on the iPhone 4 is much superior to the discount you get on any of the other phones. Is that right? You don't have to go on a plan, though. They were advertising no, iPhone, you don't iPhone have to go on a plan. And then you start to get equivalents in prices. Oh, if you just I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's the rebates. Uh, are good yeah, the for, rebates for you get for going on even the lowest possible right, I see. data plan, mm. which you'd have to go on to anyway if you wanted to have a smartphone and actually well, get Well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. The rebate, yeah, the, the discounts you get for going on an iPhone 4, we're talking hundreds of dollars significant in difference. Now, that's interesting. Who would have thought? And mm. an Android smartphone. And you'd think with Android being able to be put on so many different manufacturers' hardware that there'd be a lot more competition between those different manufacturers to create lower-cost smartphones. And sure, you can get some really cheap smartphones running Android these days, but the power, the capabilities of them uh, is nowhere near the, the, the iPhone tier. So, yeah, it's this horrible catch-22 situation. Oh, well, I, can see, I can see why you're stuck with the phone you've got right now. Yeah, you have to yeah. keep deleting every 200 messages worth. You have to keep everything <laughs> It's really annoying, especially when you get certain text messages that you really want to keep. You just want yeah, to see, I don't, I don't, I use it as a very keep, a transient sort it of might be medium. Something, it mm. might be something important. It might be something from somebody that you haven't heard from for ages. Yeah, see, I then store that somewhere else. Value. Yeah, I store that somewhere else if I need to. Mm. But yeah, but I, I know, I can imagine. I mean, I liked in, in it with, the, my, with yeah. my old phone. I didn't have to worry about that. I could, uh, there would. I could always keep mm. this cache of messages that I'd never needed to delete. Hey, incidentally, have you seen the Steve Job action figures, the the dolls? No, I haven't. Yeah, there's <laughs> there's some out there that are apparently being sold on eBay. And they originally mm. sold for $79, but now because Apple put a stop to it, they threatened the Chinese company with a lawsuit. And so only 300 were ever made. And so now they're selling on eBay for, for four-digit figures. Well, wow. they're trying to ask four-digit figures. Mm. Mm. Just wondered if you've seen them. Like, they're kind of cool. I wouldn't mind one just for the not because I I idolise Steve Jobs. In fact, I don't. <laughs> no, for uh, the, the um, just novelty factor. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> anyway, there you go. <laughs> I want to kick off this week's episode with a story. Let me tell you about the story about Katie Goldman. Now, Katie is seven years old. She lives in Illinois in the US of A. She's a first grader and she's being bullied at school. People are saying nasty things to her and, and just giving her a hard time. The reason behind that? Because she's a fan of Star Wars. And not that there's anything wrong with that in itself, but people see that as a boy's domain. Girls should not be into Star Wars. So the, the little kids in Illinois think that only boys should like Star Wars? Yeah. Have they never seen the internet? Anybody who's seen the internet, anybody who has even an ounce of geek cred, knows that Star Wars is universal. Exactly. And, and it ought to be. But, you know, there are people out there that think, obviously, at, at uh, Katie's school, that it's a boy's domain. So guess what? In steps Katie's mum, Carrie. Now, she contributes to a blog for Chicago Now, and she wrote about it. She wrote a blog column on that, on that very topic. And guess what the reaction was? Huge, my guess is huge. Yep, huge in support of Katie. Indeed, there's no way that I would be supporting people bullying somebody for liking Star Wars. No, absolutely. No, no. What kind of Hicksville (laughs) school is that? Well, I know, you make you wonder. So she feels a lot better now. And, you know, she should be because she's. You know, she's made out pretty good from this, from going from being bullied about her, like for Star Wars, to being inundated with some really cool Star Wars stuff from some of the the highlights in the geek community. Yeah, people have seen the stuff, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She got a lightsaber from Think Geek. (laughs) And yeah, cast of the Star Wars Clone Wars cartoon show have been sending her all kinds of stuff. Everyone's getting in behind this uh, who have read the story and are in full support of Katie. And, you know, people are saying it's okay for girls to like Star Wars. It always has been. It's, it's, it always has been. It it always will be. There is no reason whatsoever to bully someone. None whatsoever. Well, all I can say is let's hope that the bullies realize that they are in the minority and that, you know, everyone's, in, as I say, in full support of, the, of, of Katie being a Star Wars fan. So good on her. Exactly. And good on everyone getting behind that. Exactly. So there's a good news story. I want to move on to a story about the FBI being accused of planting back doors in OpenBSD in the IP6 stack. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I remember reading this story. This is This has so many ripple on effects because well, while the, the, the claim is that the, the back doors were implemented, you know, like a decade ago, who knows how, whether or not it's true or not, or if it continued on. But the fact that it was put into the OpenBSD IPsec stack and that the code from the IPsec stack has been ported and used all over the place. Yeah. It's in all used kinds of yeah, other things. I know. I know. So if this is true and there are back doors that are accessible by the FBI and who knows what other government agencies that the FBI shares that information with, if it's true, they would have possible access to so many different things that have used the OpenBSD IP stack. Oh, yeah. So it's claimed that some developers, uh, or former developers anyway, from the BSD project accepted money from the FBI to put these in. And this revelation actually comes from an email that was sent to the uh, BSD project leader from Gregory Perry, who's the former CTO of NetSec. And in his email to uh, to the BSD project leader, Theo Durad, uh, he says that 
I wanted to make you aware of the fact that the FBI implemented a number of backdoors and side-channel key-leaking mechanisms into the OCF for the express purpose of monitoring the site-to-site VPN encryption system implemented by EOUSA, the parent organisation to the FBI. And he goes on to say, This is probably the reason why you lost your DARPA funding. They more than likely caught wind of the fact that those backdoors were present and didn't want to create any derivative products based upon the same. Apparently, he was unable to say anything about this until now because the non-disclosure period has now ended, which is 10 years. Hmm. So Mm. what do you make of that? That's really, really interesting. In a way, I'm not surprised. I'm really, really not surprised. No, I'm not surprised either, but it is quite shocking. If open source developers who were you know, who were allowed to work on such important foundations for IP security encryption systems in uh, an open project were not trustworthy enough to actually work on it, yeah, which is I what this is saying. The this is saying part of the story. These people mm. were bribed or, yeah. or paid off to work in this on these important security fundamentals and pay to put in back doors. So this really shakes the foundation of an open relationship for people working on security and encryption software in the open source community. Uh, It means that if you really want, well, number one, it's going to make developers working on anything that has any part of the IP6 stack or any of these things that have been talked about based off the OpenBSD system um, are using it in any of their projects, they're going to be seriously going through the code from all that stuff to see if this is true, if there's anything in there that could be used as, you know, a backdoor or uh, or a key leaking mechanism and remove it. It also means that any projects that are thinking of farming out any of the implementations of any encryption or security features for their project, they're going to have to do a lot more serious double, triple checking of the produced code to ensure that there's nothing that's being slipped in there from somebody who's doing the dodgy. Well, that's exactly what's happening right now. People are going through now the, the code. People are pouring through the code to see uh, whether the claims are true because at the moment yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it hasn't been verified. But, you know, just the other side of the argument, though, of course, Brett, is, well, you can't trust anyone necessarily who's working on that project. I mean, I could contribute to the project and put some dodgy code in there and the checks and balances are there <laughs> because the the code is open source and anyone can check it and verify it. Yeah, but the people obviously weren't well, they checking are, that's and verifying. And, you know what? and the, if it the, the, does this... become verified that there were backdoors, then the people who actually worked on that code, the people who got paid off, if this turns out to be true, they're going to have a hard time <laughs> developing for any other open source project because they've just been burnt as fakers, as... Um, people willing to take bribes to put in malicious code. Well, as you know, I'm a great fan of uh, Bruce Simpson's column, Aardvark, aardvark.co.nz, free plug there. But um, th- he's said for a while, now he's he's no enemy of, of open source, he's keen on open source, but he's always said, and he's blogged about this before, he's always said, don't use open source as the reason why something is more secure, simply because people have the ability to examine the code. Because he's actually questioned, he said, are people doing this? Sure, people can, but are people actually going through the code and saying, what does this do? How does this work? And, oh, this looks a bit dodgy. Is anyone doing this? I'd be very surprised. I think the number of people doing that in the the world on any given open source project is very small. Well, yeah, it's because most people will go buy an open source project projects 
claim or fundamentals or basis that they have established and thorough code review practices. It's like you might have one or two people developing a project, developing code for a part, but that code would go through a systematic review before being accepted into the core of the project. It's, you know, it's like farming out work to somewhere else. If you're farming out printing work to somewhere, you expect a proof to check through to make sure that that, pro, you know, what they're producing is quality and is acceptable to yourself. Even if your project's open source, you've got to have some sort of vetting process. And this is saying that the OpenBSD vetting process quite possibly didn't work, if this turns out to be true. Once again, it's still an entire if this turns out to be true. Yeah, exactly. And it's in the coming months that we will discover once people actually do with a fine-tooth comb, go through this code to determine if there is anything or if this is Gregory Perry taking out his giant porridge ladle and stirring the pot for the hell of it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the thing is, you have to be fair to them as well, even if it is true. It, it can, you know, people can be very cunning in how they disguise that is you know, the backdoors, how they implement true. them. They can be quite very, very true. cunning. I mean, why are some bugs not detected even when we do have the code? You know, there, there are bugs in open source software. It's the same oh, thing, yeah, whether yeah. it's bugs or something that's been planted there. Well, malicious stuff is a little harder, well, is a little easier to detect than most bugs because most bugs are purely one tiny little thing wrong, like a semicolon missing or, you know, a comma in the wrong place in hundreds of lines of code well, no, trying to look no, for the errors. Always. Some of them are logic, are logic well, yeah, errors. Some of them some are also are logic poor logic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Pause when you're putting logic. in malicious code that actually functions and does something particular, unless you're really good at writing a line of code that does something interesting in a very short amount of space, which, of course, you'd get to when you're doing well, this. Some of it there should it, still be something which logically doesn't fit into the sequence of what it's supposed to be doing. Well, one technique, though, is to scatter your code amongst the, 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 the project and the little bits make up. So something's prepared here and something else is prepared here. It's a bit like cooking, you know. You, yeah, yeah. You, you do a little bit here and a little bit over here, chop the veggies over here and fry the meat over here. Yeah, and then, yeah, of course, yeah, you all yeah. bring it together when you need to on the plate. And, and that and serve it up that way and, and so that's another mm. technique so it doesn't necessarily yeah, have to be of, of, done in of yeah. farming out different parts but, which makes it very hard still to, a, it, yeah it would still be for the, the part that surely for the main part which brings it all together you'd be able to see that if you knew what you were well, you know if you were new yeah, you were looking for something interesting say, but you'd think so hmm so anyway, that's that's something that's been uh, at least alleged uh, and hasn't yet been confirmed. But uh, it will we'll be interesting to, to see, see if, it's, the, if, if it is actually finds. true. Yeah, yeah. Might take some time, though. Now, in other news, WikiLeaks has had another setback, not surprisingly, this time from the Bank of America. Mm-hmm. And it's basically refused to process any payments for WikiLeaks. And the reason behind that is that they believe that what WikiLeaks is about to release is something that paints it in a rather bad light. Well, we know that WikiLeaks is is going to be releasing some large amount of documentation which does paint some bank in a very bad light. And most assumption is that it is the Bank of America, seeing seeing as WikiLeaks has put on its Twitter page that it is recommending that people close out their Bank of America accounts. So it's assumed that this documentation will be about the Bank of America. So it's not surprising that the Bank of America would suddenly decide 
that, oh, look, uh, we don't think WikiLeaks is, is playing by the rules, so we're not going to serve them anymore. It's got nothing to do whatsoever with the fact that they might be about to release OE for documenta- documentation <laughs> that makes us look bad. <laughs> yeah, there's the sarcasm, right? Absolutely. No, yeah, as you say, I mean, it, it's we know why. It's, it, that's really what we, we think it's about. But until WikiLeaks releases what it has, uh, we can't say for sure. Yeah, but, uh, it'll be interesting to find out what exactly uh, are in those documents. Certainly, the cables that have been released by WikiLeaks, uh, you know, communications between embassies has been uh, makes for interesting reading. Oh, some massively interesting reading about almost every country you could possibly imagine. Yeah, I did. A, I did a fair <laughs> bit of reading on uh, on our New Zealand Herald site. Uh, yeah, they've almost got like a, a sort of section on on the WikiLeaks releases, and there's a new story almost every day about what they found yeah what, what, of what mention of New Zealand is in there and how it's yeah, reflecting on yeah. what some really interesting stuff in there and you know what this is really just New Zealand a small 4 million population country imagine what the rest reads about you know because I haven't really yeah. been reading about the other countries so much uh, I was just keen to see what our politicians have been up to Oh, exactly, exactly, yeah. and and not all of it is very nice. No, no, no. <laughs> There's quite a lot of dodginess going on yes, in there. Yes, there as well. is, and they get and told to say one thing. Washington pressures our politicians tell the public this, but in actual fact, that's happening. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Right, don't, okay. let, don't let the, don't let the New Zealand population know this because they won't like it. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and other parts of it are yeah. The, the New Zealand politicians going well. We won't let the public know this because then they'll think we're buckling under to American pressure, <laughs> and we. Don't don't want to see in that way. <laughs> you know what we say? We we you know people say that the Chinese government appears quite dodgy because it's all about saving face. Yeah. But in actual fact, you know, from all what we saw WikiLeaks, like yeah, all government, yeah, exactly, <laughs> all governments are like that. That's exactly what we get from WikiLeaks. Well, yeah, at least what we yeah. uh, can deduce from the the cables released by WikiLeaks. <laughs> So many interesting things happening in WikiLeaks. It's mm. just mind-bogglingly interesting stuff all over the place. We've got Assange, who's now out on bail. Yeah, he's on bail now, America. isn't he? And, yeah. uh, bail and he's, this he's, mansion. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's quite concerned. Because this whole Swedish arrest warrant thing gets him arrested, gets him stuck in one place, it makes it a lot easier for the American government, this is why he's scared about, the American government, because they're trying to figure out a way to prosecute him for treason, you That's know, right, yeah. espionage stuff. And if he's being held by a country which is in league with extradition orders to the United States, then it's quite possible that the United States, if they get their stuff together and find a way to put their, you know, smash their pieces of puzzle together to be able to charge him with one of these things, to then extradite him straight to the US where... <laughs> where we don't really want to know what would happen to him exactly. there. I, I think he, he'd rather be in, in Sweden right now, I think. <laughs> if it came between going to Sweden to stand up against uh, these allegations there or be extradited to America to, tra- to face espionage charges, <laughs> it's, yeah, what would happen there? Because it, it's just amazing how... This is all coming about and the, the level of kind of ire he apparently has raised in these places because, you know, America has recently kicked out all of those people they accused of being Russian spies through espionage. There was that one woman who's now got a pretty good career, apparently, being a sex symbol uh, <laughs> when she was deported back to Russia. They're just deporting them. They're grabbing them and deporting them. But I really don't think they would grab and deport 
Assange, seeing as he's not even in America. Well, the fact that they're trying they're to trying accuse extradite him, him in the first place, so they wouldn't yeah, extradite him and try and send him back. Which is what they charged the other people with, and the other people well, yeah. basically got a slap over well, the wrist treason, and kicked treason. over there. Treason. Yeah. But he can't mm-hmm. be treason because he's not American. You can only commit treason against your own country. Well, that's true. Otherwise, so it's just espionage. Charge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you cannot charge. <laughs> well, they're, they're touching at straws. They're trying to get him for something. But, yeah, they're trying I to just get don't him like for something. Did. But it's but, just completely contradictory as to if they charged him with espionage. The other people they've just recently charged with espionage, they gave a slap on the wrist and kicked them out of the country. Yeah. Julian Assange is not even in the country, so you can charge him with espionage, but you can't do a damn thing about it other than say you're not allowed to enter into America. If they charge him for treason, what are they going to do? Give him a green card and then charge him? <laughs> it's like you're an American citizen now, hey, don't and now we charge you for treason. Don't underestimate the, the governments of the world. They may well do that. They'll say, here, here's your, we, we're giving you, you can't refuse it, we're giving you American citizenship. Oh, now we can charge you under the Treason Act. Nah, but they can't do that because you can always refuse citizenship. Well, can you? Yeah. It, it, for instance, if you've lived in New Zealand for the appropriate amount of time to get citizenship, you have to apply for it. You have to want to get it. Yeah, yeah, but, what just, I, yeah, but this is, yeah, okay. But if the government stages this, I mean, look, they'll, they'll well, say he's got still, it. No international court of law would ever would ever hold that up. Yeah, but how's what's what's the international <laughs> court of law going to do about this? You know that once he's tried in America, even if it's staged. Well, anyway, would do the same sort of thing. There would be global pressure. It's the same thing that has been happening to try and stop that woman from being stoned to death in Iran. The global community, the global law, you know, things would get up in arms and saying that's just not right. We're probably going a little too far down the track anyway on the story. Exactly. But we are going all so, so, way. Yeah. But it just shows you how interesting all this stuff is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I don't know how WikiLeaks are getting funded right now because a lot of financial institutions, PayPal, Bank of America, MasterCard, are now yeah. refusing to deal with WikiLeaks. So they're kind of, uh, they're kind of struggling to, to find ways of getting money into the organization to get donations yeah, in. Yeah, it's not like they've, they've got plenty of people willing to donate. It's just getting the money in. Yeah, able to get the money in. Very odd. So from one odd story to another odd story, Google is being sued by a woman who really was upset because her underwear was visible on Google Street View. Oh, come on. Really? (laughs) Really? Where was this underwear? Was this underwear in her hamper in her house? Uh, I'd imagine not. I'd imagine not. Peering through into her house to see this underwear? It was on her line. On her washing line. Is her washing line visible from the street at standard person's walking eye level? You'd imagine so. Ah, then it's well, in hang a public on. No, place. Wait, wait a minute. Actually, the Google cameras on the car are pretty high. So well, yeah, they are They are slightly the, more the, high. They're, so they're taller than the average have... person. Yeah, bit... yeah. Okay, if it was over a fence and the fence was of a reasonable height to preclude the visibility of the aforementioned underwear from a public place then yes, Google should remove the picture because they were invading somebody's privacy or somebody's home. If, however, I'm thinking in, this is in Japan, that yeah, it's quite possibly a, an apartment in one of those apartment blocks where people hang their underwear on washing lines outside of windows and outside of balconies, then it's publicly accessible visual stuff. Well, what everybody this, walk, what is she make... suing everybody who walks past along her street who happens to glance up and see her knickers? Yeah, but they're not, they're not publishing that, and I think there's a difference. But I, look, I, you know, to make the story a little more understandable, she does suffer from obsessive-compulsive disorder. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, th- I think part of it's, you know, kind of due to that, and she's kind of a little bit paranoid now. Yeah. And she's had to move. But doesn't Google already have a perfectly easy to go through process to have a picture removed or to have an aspect of a picture blurred? Well, at least they do in some countries. I, I can only um, assume that it's the same in, in Japan, but I don't know. You'd think so. Yeah. Yeah, because I know that you, you at least in Germany, they've had a huge number of people going through the process to get stuff blurred out. But yeah, well, 3% of the population. Yeah. Which is quite a high number, really. Quite a high number when you think of the number of people in Germany. (laughs) But yeah, I I thought that Google had a relatively easy to go through process to get something vetted and get something, either an image removed or an image, something blurred in an image. Well, as I say, I mean, she she has OCD, and I, I guess that probably contributes to to the, her uh, her rationale. Oh yeah, yeah, she, I, I can perfectly understand her, her desire to not have her underwear shown to everybody on the world. It's a perfectly legitimate desire. Google's done no wrong in going past taking the photos because yeah, you can take photos in a public place of anything that's viewable in a public place. Otherwise, every tourist who goes to anywhere in the world would be charged for taking yeah, but photos. Yeah, remember, they are publishing it, which is different. Well, taking how many photos... Okay, let's take tourist photos again as an example. Well, yeah, okay, you can publish How many those, websites yeah, uh, yeah. do people put their Flickr, tourist photos up? Facebook, exactly. Casa, yeah, I mean... Yep. Yeah. So if I'm in Japan and I'm taking a photo down a street and I happen to catch a businessman in a place he's not supposed to be in and uh, some woman's knickers on a clothesline and I publish that photo on Facebook or I publish that photo on my Picasso of my trip around town, uh, around the world, it's, you know, it's stuff in a public place. There are, there's, yeah, it's in the public. I can take that photo. <laughs> it's, and... Google already has a perfectly valid way of going through to get stuff like that. There have four Google, you know, Google Maps, Google Street View have been incredibly accommodating for these sorts of different concerns. We've reported on other stories of things in, in Google Street View. Where yeah, there's always someone upset, upset, isn't there? There's always yeah. someone upset about, about what and, Street View is showing. And, and as you say, we, we've, we've talked about this before. They do have a process, at least I, I think it's worldwide. Mm. So I, I don't know where this, it goes this case is going to go. Yeah, yeah. And in this case, wasn't the lady's washing line blurred in the photo quite quickly after she raised this concern? Oh, was it? Yeah. So if you Google Street Viewed her street now, you would see her apartment, her house or whatever it is, and you would see a blur where the clothesline Oh, I didn't realise they, they'd done this already. Yeah, yeah. They, no. they, they blurred it pretty soon after it being raised to their attention. But people constantly taking it to that extra step of we there's a perfectly valid process of going through to get this stuff blurred or get it removed, but we want money because you've done it in the first place. You think it's about money? Well, even if it's not, it, it, it's, people take it that extra step. You know what? If I was a little bit more savvy and onto it, what I would have done is got out the giant Boys of Tech banner and put that outside my house and when it drives past, it'll get a free ad for, for Boys of Tech. That's and there's nothing to stop you doing that. No, I should have done that. I didn't think at the time. Mm. The other thing is trying to work out when the Google Street View car is going to go past. That's what the harder. you need to do is make a contact at Google, Google New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. Find someone who who uh, who drives the car, or yeah. who knows someone who drives the car, and figure out when that's happening. Might do that exactly. next time we'll, on the next refresh. We'll, we'll have this huge boys of tech banner on Street View. 
We can link to it on our on the front page of our site. Well, yeah. The other thing we could do is we can always ask, contact Google and ask them when the next time they're coming past. Because that's how all of those people who've done those amazing composition, art composition things for when Google Street View comes past. You know, like there's that brilliant street in, oh, I can't remember where, somewhere in America, where they've just got all of these different weird little exhibition-y sorts of things, interesting things happening down the street. Like there's a person escaping from a building down a rope ladder. There's a mad scientist working in his garage with a shrink ray sort of thing. Oh, there's, really? You know, all kinds of bizarre things. There's a person standing in a giant um, potato suit or something like that. <laughs> all of this weird stuff is happening along the street because it's this huge piece of performance art. There's, you know, some cheerleaders down one section of it. There's a band practicing in a different part. It's, and so, so they have Google actually told these... They know, contacted Google to find out when Street View was coming past. Yeah, so, so, they, so they said they divulged, the they told them when? Yeah. Oh, okay. And so they, they arranged this absolutely brilliant art piece and you scroll down Google Street View, down it, you see all these bizarre things. And there's a bit of a, they've got a little quiz game sort of thing to spot the different stuff around there. They go like, there's an alien abducting somebody. Can you find them? And so you, you wander down the streets until you see the bit where there's the alien abducting someone. Yeah, that is pretty cool. <laughs> the mad scientist with his working on his death ray and mm. all those different things. Yeah, you could contact them if you wanted to organize something like that. So, yeah, so, you so what do you... And see right. if they, when they're next coming past. All right, we'll have to do that and hang this yeah. huge banner out. Boys of Tech. <laughs> and then boys, the, the URL, boysoftech.com. Anyway, Brett uh, and folks, that is the final episode for 2010, episode 97. There's the outro music. We're going out again as we did last year on We Wish You a Merry Christmas, which you can hear playing at the moment. So, Brett, want to thank you very much for your contributions throughout the course of this year. It's been a fantastic year. Uh, it really has. And uh, all our listeners, of course, uh, our listenership has been growing steadily since day one, really. It's been a steady growth. Excellent. So I guess uh, on behalf of both of us, I'd like to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't overeat. Well, no, go on, do, do that, because that's what Christmas is all about. Yes. Overeat, indulge yourself, and, uh, and then recover over the next few days. Yes, pay for it, the, pay for, it for the next few weeks. <laughs> a few weeks and then okay. It's for a few months. <laughs> Work it off. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, look forward to the Boxing Day sales as well, actually. Mm. And, uh, yeah, and have yourselves a very happy new year. And we'll yep. see you all again for our third year next year. Our first show will be on the 9th of January, so we're taking a, a small hiatus, small break. Yep, uh, I'm going to go lounge on some beaches somewhere. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh yeah, it's summer down here. We've got to mention, it is summer down here in the Southern Hemisphere, so we'll be out in the summer sunshine and swimming and at the beach and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for those of well, you... Everybody else is snowed in. Well, at least in the Northern <laughs> Hemisphere, yeah, you'll be snowed yes. in. But at least you'll have a white Christmas this year. I understand North America and Europe are having a particularly cold snap at the moment with, uh, with lots of snow. So uh, I understand you'll definitely be having your white Christmas So thank you very much, everyone, and uh, see you again next year. And thank you for all your support. Likewise, and wish you all Merry Christmas. See you next year. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Merry Christmas. Christmas.